Please be seated. The scripture text for the sermon this morning will be uh, Romans 1. I'll go ahead and read verses 1 through 6. Romans 1, 1 through 6. And the title of the sermon is The Gospel of God's Son. Hear now the reading of God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him... And for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, open our eyes by the power of your Spirit to behold wonderful things in your word, chief among them, Jesus Christ, our Savior, crucified for our sin and raised for our eternal life. Seal him and his benefits to us as we hear his gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to begin by asking you a question this morning, a very simple one. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? We talk about the gospel all the time. I'm a minister of the gospel. You believe the gospel. You share the gospel with your friends. You seek to live in a way that honors the gospel. But what is the gospel? Why is it so important? How would you define it and communicate it to someone who has never heard it? If you're looking for a text that answers those questions, you have it set before you this morning from Romans 1, verses 1 through 6. And I want you to notice several points that emerge from the text. First, focus your attention on verse 1 and that phrase, the gospel of God. Let your eyes rest on that. The gospel that Paul proclaimed as an apostle is not a gospel that originated with Paul. It's not a gospel that originated with Moses. It's not a gospel that originated with any human being anywhere at any time ever. The gospel is a gospel of God. And that little phrase of God can mean either the gospel produced by God or the gospel belonging to God. Most likely, it means both. The gospel comes from God and as such belongs to God. It is not of human origin. It is of divine origin. And there's a parallel between the gospel of God in Romans 1, 1, and the word of God in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is what? 
breathed out by God. It's God's word. It comes from God and belongs to God. The scriptures of the Old and New Testament, 2 Peter 3, 16 through 18, applies the same to the New, is the word of God, breathed out by the Spirit for you as the church to receive and for that word to be proclaimed throughout the world. As goes the word of God, so goes the gospel of God. And Paul, as an apostle, was set aside to proclaim the gospel that belongs to God, divine in its origin and authority, mighty to save, because it is the power of God. Second point. Notice in verse 3, I'll talk about verse 2 in a second, but notice in verse 3 that this gospel has a very definitive substance or subject matter. The gospel is a gospel concerning God's Son. It's a gospel concerning Jesus Christ. It is a Son-centered gospel that has the Redeemer of God's elect as its central redemptive subject matter. The gospel is not first and foremost about me or you, the gospel's not first and foremost about sinners. The gospel, first and foremost, is about the Savior of sinners, the Son of God incarnate, Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel that Paul proclaimed is a Son-centered, Christ-centered gospel. And this is so clear because in the very next two clauses, the apostle says it's about Christ, the Son of God, descended from David according to the flesh, but declared the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. Let me put it simply and then amplify it just a bit. The gospel is about Jesus Christ crucified and raised descended from David according to the flesh to the point of death on a cross, raised by the power of the Spirit on the third day and declared to be the Son of God in power, raised never to die again. It's a gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and glorified. Listen to the way the very first sermon on the day of Pentecost preached by Peter reads. Here's the gospel. If you're prone to mark in your Bibles, Acts 2:22 through 32 is a direct commentary on Romans 1, 3 and 4. Listen. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, now he begins to quote from the Old Testament, I saw the Lord always before me for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. 
Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me glad with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he died and was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. Listen now. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on a throne, he, David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of this we are all witnesses. That is the Petrine amplification of the Pauline gospel. David was a prophet who by the supernatural power of the Spirit wrote of Christ, spoke of Christ. And Peter says that as a prophet, he is simply amplifying as an apostle that Jesus did not see corruption. Jesus has been shown the path of life. Jesus in his glorified humanity, supernaturally has ascended into the presence of God in the presently veiled heavens to sit at his right hand. Absolute, incomprehensible supernaturalism lies at the root of the gospel of God's Son. Crucified, raised, and ascended. So it's not only a gospel of God, verse 1, not only a gospel of God's Son, it's a gospel of God's Son crucified and glorified. But for that reason, we need to look at verse 2 and ask the question, we've already hinted at it, how does this gospel relate to the Old Testament scriptures? Is this gospel something that dawned with the apostles and God revealed only to them? Well, look at verse 2. This gospel of God's Son, crucified and raised, is, quote, promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Look at those in turn. Promised beforehand by God. You see, not only, listen, does the gospel belong to God, verse 1, the gospel is promised beforehand by God, Verse 2, belongs to God, promised beforehand by God. This gospel has God himself as its author and guarantor. Paul roots this gospel not in a second reading of the Christian community, as they received a Christless text and surreptitiously read Jesus back into it. That's unbelief. That's not true. Rather, Paul is saying that God himself, by his divine intention, embedded the gospel in promise form in the Old Testament scriptures. It was promised beforehand and before the coming of Jesus. But secondly, it was given through the prophets. Paul says that while this gospel is divinely authored, 
It was communicated to God's people through the instruments or servants, the prophets. And prophets here is to be taken in a way that includes the sum total of those Old Testament witnesses to Christ. Abel, Noah, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, and the last, children, John the Baptist. This gospel is a gospel promised by God through the prophets, but where is it contained? Where was it inscripturated? Where was it deposited? In the Holy Scriptures. Now, at the time that Paul wrote the book of Romans, roughly 55 AD, 55 to 57, there was no New Testament canon formed yet. Therefore, the scriptures that Paul refers to are the scriptures of the Old Testament from Genesis to the book of Malachi. And Paul is saying that the prophetic scriptures of the Old Testament contain the gospel of God's Son. Let me put it in a way that outside of our Orthodox Presbyterian circles might ruffle some feathers. They need to be ruffled if they don't like what I'm about to say. The Old Testament is the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and as such is Christian scripture. You see? This is what Jesus taught in Luke 24. uh, 45 through 49, he began with Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, and he taught them of everything the scriptures teach regarding himself. And he opened their eyes that they might see him as he has been revealed where? In the scriptures promised by God through the prophets in the Old Testament. You see, this gospel is the gospel that Paul proclaimed. You can say it's a trans-testamental gospel. A gospel in promise form in the Old Testament. A gospel in fulfillment form in the New Testament. A gospel in prophetic form in the Old Testament. A gospel in apostolic form in the New Testament. But what is it? It's one Gospel. I'm getting a little. One gospel for one people of God, a two testament witness to one redeemer in one progressive organic gospel revelation. Now, we need to appreciate this, and so I want to illustrate it for you. This is another text that if you're so inclined to mark in your Bible, you can say beside Romans 1 through 3, 4, cross-reference Galatians 3, 6 through 9. This is a wonderful uh, illumining text, a kind of commentary on this. Because, I'll summarize it in advance, the gospel is not only promised in advance of Christ's coming, Romans 1, 2. It is preached in advance to Christ's coming, Galatians 3.8. And it is applied before Christ's coming in Galatians 3.9. Listen to this language. Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. We read that earlier from Genesis 15.1-6. 
Now listen to how Paul interprets it. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Who are the sons of Abraham? I'm preaching to them right this moment. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith, you, are blessed along with Abraham, the believer. Now, this should be a sermon in itself, but I can't do that. Listen to just a few key points. Notice that God, through the scripture of the Old Testament, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, applied the gospel beforehand to Abraham. He was justified by faith. And you and I are blessed along with Abraham as we believe that gospel and trust in Jesus Christ. See, first, Abraham's believing on God in verse 6 is parallel to the New Testament believer who is of faith in verse 9. It's like a little inclusio. Abraham believed, you believe like Abraham. Believers are of faith just as Abraham was the man of faith. So Abraham and New Testament believers share the same believing horizon. Secondly, Paul identifies the content of what Abraham believed as the gospel preached beforehand, verse 8. How does Paul define the gospel? We've already got that. It's the gospel of God concerning his son, descended from David according to the flesh and was declared in resurrection power by the spirit of holiness to be the son of God. It's the gospel of God's son crucified and raised. Third, Abraham believed that gospel and was blessed by that gospel. And you, please hear this, are blessed along with Abraham, the believer. If you want to put it this way, there's a gospel train running throughout redemptive history. Abraham was on it first, and you are now on it with him in Christ. One progressive, organic, supernatural, Christ-centered gospel. Abraham first, and now you, by the Spirit and through faith in the same gospel, heirs along with Abraham. You see, God preached the gospel to Abraham. God has preached that same gospel to you. How so? Our confessional standards, Westminster Confession 7, 5, and 8, 6, says that in the Old Testament era, which uh, chapter 20, verse 1 refers to as the law, it's the gospel in its earlier edition given to Moses and uh, Abraham, Moses, and David, and so on says that God revealed the gospel through promises, types, and sacrifices. 
And through those promises, types, and sacrifices, not only foresignified the gospel, but applied it to those who believe. So for instance, when Abraham and Isaac ascended Mount Moriah, and God called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, and just as he was about to do so, the angel of the Lord called out and said, Abraham, stop. And Abraham stopped. And the Lord directed him to a ram caught in the thicket. And what happened on that day on Mount Moriah? Instead of Abraham's son being sacrificed and burned or immolated as a burnt offering, a ram in his place was sacrificed, blood was shed, was burned, immolated, and ascended up into the nostrils of the Lord, as it were, as a sweet-smelling savor. And on that day, it was said, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. On the mountain of the Lord, it is provided. And it is in that event that the gospel was not only foresignified, it was. It was also applied to Abraham and his offspring. And what did they do? They did what you're doing right now. They worshiped the glory of the Lord in the blood and in the smoke of a sacrifice. Do you see it? It's one gospel progressively administered. Jesus Christ is the great provision. Jesus Christ is Jehovah Jireh. Jesus Christ has ascended a mountain greater than Moriah. First, it was the hill of Golgotha in death. Now, Hebrews 12:22, it is heavenly Mount Zion. I said it before, I'm going to say it one more time. Focusing it now on Hebrews 12, 22, your Savior not only offered himself in blood sacrifice on the cross on the hill of Golgotha in calendar time about 2,000 years ago, but three days later in his humanity he was raised from the dead by the supernatural power of God. And 40 days later he ascended bodily into heaven out of sight behind a cloud And he ever lives in heaven to intercede for his people. And do you know what he's doing this entire age? This is your whole Christian life I'm about to tell you. He is bringing you to himself on eagle's wings to behold his glory, worship him, and know his presence as you are brought to see him on the last day with your own eyes raised from the dead. That's what the gospel is. That's what Jesus is doing right now. Every child of his in the wilderness will be brought to him where he is to see his glory and to be with him forever. That's why he said to the thief on the cross, you with me in paradise. That's why he told his disciples in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house so that what? Where I am, you may be forever. Listen, no one can take this from you. 
Satan can't take it from you. You can't take it from yourself. You have been purchased with blood and you have been born again. And Paul says in verse 6, I'd love to do more on this. Paul says that you have been called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. You have been effectually called. Your heart has been renewed. Your mind has been opened. Your will has been liberated. Your affections have been inflamed for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that effectual calling, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 9, is into the koinonion, the fellowship of Jesus Christ. You belong to Christ and Christ belongs to you in a sacred bond of fellowship that nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth can sever. And what is its fruition? The obedience that consists in faith. You are not your own. You have been bought with the price. You are no longer dead in sin. You have been raised to newness of life. And you now have been raised, Romans 6, 4, to walk in newness of life. You have now been created, Ephesians 2, 10, to walk in good works that have been ordained before the foundation of the world. Why? Because the one who loved you and gave himself for you has called you into fellowship with himself as alive from the dead so that as he lives, you live in him and with him in a bond of covenantal fellowship. What are you called to do? You are called to know Jesus, assent to Jesus, worship Jesus, obey Jesus, and I call you this morning, trust in Jesus alone. Abandon all hope in yourself. If you trust in yourself, you are hopeless, you are helpless, and you are doomed. If you look outside of yourself to Jesus Christ, you can know this with infallible certainty. There is nothing in all of creation that is able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the gospel of God's Son. And you are united to the Son made known in that gospel. Rest in him alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gospel and pray that you would continue to build us up in it, give us grace and conform us to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Comfort our hearts and cause us to glory in Jesus Christ crucified and raised and cause us to lay hold of this gospel even as you have laid hold of us in it. And build us up and continue to sanctify us in our worship of our Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of our Father in heaven. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.